When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we tackle your questions on gated community gates, invite troubles among large groups of friends, a bride with the best intentions, and who greets whom when you arrive home. We have a postscript segment on gifting just in time for the holiday season. All that plus your feedback and a salute coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute. I swear, I remember who I am. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) A little slow on that uptake. On a snowy Monday morning. Like, can I? Okay, so literally waxing poetic about the winter that arrived this weekend. I was so excited. I have over the years grown to love winter. I mean, I did as a little kid, but then I kind of fell out of love with it in my 20s, wanting warm weather all the time. And now... Winter to me is like the cleaning of the slate and the slowing down and the quieting of everything. It's like hushed and fresh. It's like I I love the combo of you get quiet and you kind of renew. You and and Pooja are in the same place this year. Every time I get just a little bit like, oh, here it comes, here it comes. She says, no, I'm really excited about winter this year. I've decided to embrace it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to get cozy and comfortable and make hot chocolates and watch the snowfall. Exactly. I'm going to embrace Embrace that spirit. I'm going to join you in that feeling. For me, it's the freshness of the air. It's like Mm -hmm. the clear, clean quality of it that just makes me feel so invigorated. And I don't particularly like being cold. I don't like scraping ice off my car and trying to get my car to heat up 10 minutes before I go out or something. I just I, I don't enjoy any of that. But I hate winter driving. But it's still I can't help. But it really does make everything feel magical. So. You know, you're 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 taking me back to this morning as I'm walking out to the car and I was feeling that magic. There was the quiet and the snow was crushing oh under my, my gosh, feet. Oh my gosh, especially where you live. And there's still just a couple of snowflakes in the air. <laughs> just a couple just sort of dancing around. And then I get to the car and I can't open the door because it's all frozen <laughs> shut and it's sealed and I've got to get the scraper out, but it's inside. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, there's a two-wheel drive and a four-wheel drive and who's going to take which one? And anyway... <laughs> Ah, winter. Ah, winter. Well, we uh, do want to make a quick little apology. We absolutely... Shaking his we, head. We Dan missed looks at it his last cousin. week. We we should have wished you a happy Thanksgiving last week. And we hope that you and your family really enjoyed a wonderful holiday together. In all of Dan and my travelings and comings and goings, we forgot that we would be recording that show. The prior week and that this show, which we are recording the week of Thanksgiving, 
It's not going to air till after Thanksgiving. So thank you so much uh, for being with us. We are very grateful for you. It is one of the messages we like to get out there this time of year, especially. And I, I will just also acknowledge that my cousin Lizzie, who puts the scripts together for this show, had several notes in today's show about wishing people happy holidays and offering tips for the coming so Thanksgiving. And, and technically, totally it's still before the Thanksgiving. <laughs> I like it. You're trying to be nice and I'm taking it negatively. No, it's it. I get I get what you're saying. Thank you. It was on my mind. It was just on my mind the wrong week between all of the comings and goings. So my apologies. And no apology necessary because the whole team sat around and got a good laugh this morning about how (laughs) somehow we all missed it. And um, it it does matter enough to us that I also just want to say it in my own voice. We really do appreciate you all so much. And we give thanks for this show and the opportunity to be with you each week. So thank you so much for sticking with us and hopefully next year we'll catch you before the actual holiday. Well, without further ado, and I do apologize because I believe we have one Thanksgiving question (laughs) in the show still. Um, Let's get to some of those questions. Let's do it. Being agreeable, saying and doing things in a pleasant way. That's easy enough, and it does make a difference all day long. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question is entitled Gatekeeper, and when I read it, I went, whoa, wait a second, that's a dilemma. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's a solution. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have recently run into a problem I would love your insight on. I have a good friend who lives in a gated community. I often go to her home to pick up children, drop things off, or just spend time catching up. She typically texts me a gate code to use for gate access so that I do not have to dial in and call her from the gate box, which is the only other way to get in as there is no attendant at the entrance. The last few times I have visited her, there has been a car, or in one case two cars, pulled off to the side waiting for someone with a gate code so that they can piggyback and gain entry into the community. This has caused me pause. I am typically visiting my friend during the day while many people are at work, leaving me wondering if it's a safety hazard to let unauthorized people in. After all, I assume the people who live here bought a home here in a gated community for a reason. If the piggybackers were visiting someone who was home, it seems like they could just use the gate box and call the person they wish to visit, who could then remotely open the gate for them. I thought about going very slowly so that it would be difficult to piggyback through, but that could backfire as I would rather my car not get damaged if I were too slow. I would feel uncomfortable rolling my window down and asking people not to follow me through, as it might be deemed rude or presumptuous. Am I overthinking this? I've heard you talk about how safety trumps etiquette, but where is the line in this situation? I would hate for someone to have their home broken into or to allow someone who is otherwise unauthorized through inadvertently, especially when I'm a visitor myself. What is my responsibility? I would love your advice. Best wishes, grumbling at the gate. Oh, grumbling at the gate. Thank you for this question. This is a a bit of a dilemma. It's a good one, right? And it certainly poses a couple of of etiquette problems here, and I think you've identified them, uh, that... 
on the one hand, you really want to take care. You've got a responsibility as a gatekeeper. It's a little bit like having a key to a building and you're supposed to keep track of it. And there's certainly that perspective. And you are right. We do say often on this show that safety trumps etiquette. Safety is so important. And if someone's safety is in jeopardy or someone's in danger, you knock the chair over and give them the Heimlich maneuver. You take their keys away before they drive home that um, you, you, you are willing to deal with a certain amount of awkwardness in order to, to address a safety situation. There are a couple of ways to think about safety here, though, because there's also the question of your safety. And you definitely if if that person following you in through the gate really was someone who was there with with bad intent, it's not necessarily your job to be the one confronting them or trying to to suss that out. And if they aren't someone there with bad intent, then you playing that role of gatekeeper might be a little presumptuous or they might not take so kindly to that. And. And that's understandable also. I think there's a pretty simple solution to this problem. Lay it on me. <laughs> you talk to your friend and ask her or him what they would like you to do when this situation arises. And I'm guessing that they would give you some kind of number to call to let someone know if someone had followed you through the gate, if there isn't an attendant there. Um, or they might say, you know, this happens all the time here. It's really not a problem. Don't worry about it. Or they might say, oh, no, that really isn't OK at all. We're going to make it more of a habit to come down and meet you. Or here's how we handle it when someone's waiting to follow us in that kind of a thing, too, because they're going to they must deal with this as well. This has to happen to the there the people she's visiting. Absolutely could be a protocol. Um, people who have uh, buzzers into buildings deal with this also. Uh, there's a good friend of mine I visit in New York. There is not a doorman in his building, but they have a two tiered entry system. And there are oftentimes people who've stepped outside to make a cell phone call or have a smoke and whether or not they're going to follow you back into the building or whether they're going to buzz up to the apartment that they're visiting is sometimes a question. There's a certain courtesy. There's a familiarity between some people who live in the building where they're letting each other in and out all the time. Other people you might want to take more care with. And it's definitely something that requires a little management. I think, too, that if anybody ever did question you, I think it would be perfectly appropriate to say, you know, just not knowing the protocol, I'd, I'd feel more comfortable not letting you in. I could see someone who says, do you mind holding the door, you know, at a building like that? I could see someone saying, you know, in a really non-judgmental tone, just a tone that says, you know, I'm just not aware of who lives or who does or doesn't have access. So if you don't mind buzzing the person that, that you know. I'd appreciate it. Or generally someone who has the ability to buzz somebody that they know isn't going to be waiting for you. Um, It's a pretty clear indication that either they've arrived early and the person they're visiting isn't home, something like that. I get it. And you can even say, you know, I don't mean to leave you out in the cold. It's just I would rather not. I don't feel comfortable having, you know, buzzing you in on behalf of someone else. I'm a guest here myself. I'm a guest here myself. You know, I probably shouldn't, but, you know, I hope someone comes down soon or... I, I like that acknowledgement of their condition also. I think because the other thing I was trying to picture was if I was that other person, say you've forgotten which apartment it is and you don't know oh, right. which number to ring but on you the, don't want to like ring 10 uh, of them i've been in that position you might know when you get upstairs that it's going to be apartment a or b but if you can't remember it and your cell phone died in the taxi what are you going to do it could be so helpful if you could just follow someone into the building and go where you know you're supposed to go at the same time if it's going to make that person really uncomfortable maybe you figure it out maybe you ring a and apologize and then ring b if that's really the place that you're headed Grumbling at the gate, that is a long answer to a relatively short question. And I think that the heart of the advice is talk to the person you're visiting and ask them what they would prefer you do. We hope this helps and that you're 
in and out without any trouble in the future. Our next question is titled, A Bride with the Best Intentions. Hello, Lizzie and Daniel. Thank you for taking my question. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and I'm even more confident in helping those around me feel comfortable through respect and politeness. I'm recently engaged. Congratulations. And thrilled to begin the wedding planning process. My fiancé and I have a tentative date a bit over a year and a half from now, but we have a clear sense of whom we would like to ask to join our respective wedding parties. I have a couple questions regarding this matter. Number one, what is an appropriate timeline to ask? Some initial answers I've seen say eight months to a year, but I'm excited and I'm sure that the bridesmaids are expecting the question eventually. Number two, what is the proper way to ask someone to be a bridesmaid? The internet is full of cutesy do-it-yourself ideas, but truth be told, that's not really my style. Can I call or wait to see them in person? We live all across the country. Or is it better to send them a note card? Is a gift recommended for this ask? Though I fully intend to find a nice gift for each closer to the wedding. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Number three, I'm particularly close to a few of the ladies, and I intend to ask my friend that I've known the longest to be my maid of honor. I think another close friend, let's call her Jackie, may be anticipating that she will be the maid of honor. Should I have a separate conversation with Jackie? I'm nervous about asking her to be my bridesmaid and her possible disappointment showing through. Thank you again. I look forward to the next podcast. Best. 
Oh, best. I love that you are thinking. I like that we just gave gave her the the, the name, the name of closing. So best. <laughs> I love that you are thinking ahead of time about how to get this right. Just spot on. I hope that that kind of thoughtful consideration, it sounds like it will, carries through your wedding planning process as things get crazy and hectic to keep others' feelings and expectations and, and just the thought of them in your mind as things start to become more and more and more about you and what you want is a really good mental place to put yourself in. I would say that let's just go through your questions. What is an appropriate timeline to ask? I think that as soon as you have a date nailed down and you're really secure about that date, not just, a, oh, I'm thinking June 24th would be nice. Like, no, no, no. Like you've actually put the date in. You've probably secured a venue. There's pick some a lock- date, pick a venue. When you got some lockdown on a date, that's when you can start calling. I'm with you. I'm not a big DIY girl for this kind of thing. I don't think it's like, you know, you, you remember when, when you would see like the crazy stories of how people ask people to prom? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't need to go that route with your bridal party. You could, but it's just not necessary. A phone call is absolutely appropriate. You could also shoot an email. You could send a text message. You could really do anything you want. The trick with the ask, I think, is to do a couple things, is to ask in a way that doesn't demand an answer right away. So I want to I present this to you, and I don't want you to give me an answer right away because I want you to take the time to really think about it. And then you can let your bridesmaid know, I would love for you to be one of my bridesmaids. This is when the wedding is. And this is about what I'm thinking would be the type of things you'd be committing to to doing it. You know, I'd be hoping that you would come for the week of the wedding so that we could all together plan this. You don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of describing everything that will happen because chances are it'll change a little bit over time. And they're going to play a part in some of that planning as well, right? Sort of. It really depends. Um, it depends on on the bride. It depends on her friendships. Um, I've, I've seen brides that don't consult their wedding party on anything. And I've seen brides that, that basically the wedding party organizes and throws the wedding because it just depends on the nature of the friends and the nature of how the wedding is being orchestrated to begin with. But I think giving some kind of an idea, like I'm hoping we could do a bachelorette party this way. And, you know, that doesn't mean like you have to say something like go to Vegas and have a crazy four day girls weekend. But it could be something like I just hope Hope that uh, my best friend, she said that what she really wanted was to do her shower and her bachelorette when we were all there in the location of the wedding. So the idea was that we could actually participate in these things. We were from all over the country. There was no way we were going to make it to these events otherwise. What you don't want to do is have this turn into, so the dresses are going to be pink organza, and I want a sweetheart neckline, and you're going to need to be um, this color tan by the time of the wedding. And everyone. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to get so far into specifics, but just let them know a little bit of what you're hoping they would be able to commit to. Technically, they are on the hook for their dress and their transportation to the wedding. You are going to be covering where they stay, typically, traditionally, during the time that they are at the wedding. So you take care of their accommodations. And oftentimes, brides will take care of hair and makeup, though it's not necessarily a guarantee. So it's something that you should be ready to say, we, we looked at the budget and this is, you know, about what it's going to be or we're looking for dresses in this range. The reason that you start talking about this kind of stuff in this first ask before they've even said yes 
is so that your bridesmaid can know financially and, t- and and with her time, which is something that she needs to be able to communicate to her job, whether or not she can commit to this. I have turned down asks because I just knew that time-wise, I wasn't going to be a good supporter. And financial-wise, I wasn't going to be able to go to the wedding to begin with. So it was something that I had to bow out of. And giving your bridesmaids that time and understanding and say, listen, I don't want you to answer just yet. I want you to think about whether you have the budget and and if you can take off the time and if this really works for you. Because I will love your support no matter whether you are standing with me or whether you are are seated and, and there in attendance. I love that asking them and also asking them to think about it and yes. to actually really <laughs> think about it before. they. We hear about this from the other side all the time. People who feel taken advantage of or like they're participating in so many weddings, it's becoming a burden on them, the cost, the there's the expense of time. Absolutely. The, we hear about bridezillas. I really dislike that term. But people who are assuming <laughs> too much or asking for too much or who've asked for something and didn't maybe realize exactly how much they were asking for oh, and, yeah. and how much of a burden that was going to become. And I love getting out ahead of it. And I love thinking about it from the host perspective of setting up your your guest, in this case, your bridesmaids for success yeah. so they can really enjoy and participate and, and know what they're getting into. I I thank both you and our question asker for giving us the opportunity to lay out that territory. Totally. It's really helpful. Now, the one thing that you you asked at the end is the much more personal question of, is Jackie going to be really offended when you ask your longtime friend? Jackie's probably going to be a little hurt. And and it's okay to to anticipate that. Um, it's, It's a good friend who recognizes that she might disappoint another friend. But your choice should be your choice for the for 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 your reasons, not for Jackie's. So I think it's really important that you just very positively ask her to be your bridesmaid. Um, you don't ask her to be a maid of honor. And if she asks, oh, who did you pick for your maid of honor? And you say, oh, I picked Caroline. And that's it. That's You don't have to explain. You don't have to do anything. Just, I picked Caroline. Um, and that's it. You, you just, you don't have to go further. If she asks anything or she said, I really thought you would have picked me, you could say, I know it was it was one of those things that I, I thought about it. But, you know, she's been my best friend since I was a little kid and I knew you'd understand. With- <laughs> a little bit putting that like spin at the end of like, I know you'll understand. Like, please understand. <laughs> what do you think about creating a special role that's not maid of honor? I, I really want you to be a bridesmaid and I'm really hoping that you can help me with my in-laws that particular day or, or totally. sort of carving out some kind of other special role? I think that um, what I would do is I would not give that special role a, a title or and I wouldn't make it something like manage the guest book. I would ask if she'd like to read something or I might ask her to give the toast or something like that because a lot of times what this friend is actually really looking for is a way to uh, support you and a way, it sounds silly, but a way to feel special. And being able to vocalize how she feels about you and how happy she is for you in this moment is actually a great way for her to feel like she is getting a chance to talk about how special you, the bride, are to her and how great, how happy she is to see you happy. It's funny how a lot of times that is, it's such a a tenderhearted, beautiful sentiment, but that's the thing the person is looking to be able to express and they... 
It's not that they're sitting around wanting the honor of being the maid of honor. They they just want to be able to show people I'm close to my friend and I'm really happy for her. So give her something that allows her to do that. A reading, a toast, something like that. Little confessional. I've had this done to me. Really? There was a friend who I was a, a, a little bit thinking I might be the best man and I was not the best man. But guess what? I ended up having another special role in that particular wedding. And the, the one other time it happened, I ended up the officiant. And that was also pretty spectacular. And I ended up remembering that with great fondness. It was a moment of some significance for me. So it got turned right around. Dan is also available to officiate anyone's wedding. Should they should they want their favorite etiquette expert and podcast host? (laughs) Dan's like going, why are you saying this? Why are you saying this? It is such a special honor. I don't want to say no, no, I would never do it. Anyway, well, we hope that this helps. Again, just be clear and confident with your invitations and also give your bridesmaids time and and the the room to say no and to, to let them know that you understand it's a big commitment and you will appreciate any support that they're able to give. And I think you're going to be in great shape. It sounds like you are already just a person who comes at everything from a place of consideration. So congratulations and have fun planning the wedding. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is about a belated Thanksgiving dilemma. Yeah, yeah, I know. I messed up the script. (laughs) No, it's um, what I love about this dilemma is it could so easily be for any party or gathering. And during the holiday season, there are so many parties. I think that this situation truly applies. So it begins. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Love the podcast. I have a ton of questions, but right now I want to ask the most pertinent. I don't know if it will reach you in time to answer it on the show, but I'm sure this won't be the last time I'm faced with this. Here's the situation. Some friends recently started renting a small house. As soon as they moved in, they announced plans to host Thanksgiving. This was a relief to me because for the last two years, Thanksgiving had been at my apartment. We had a great time, but it was a tad cramped. These friends sent an invite two weeks ago, and I told them I would attend. Today, one week before Turkey Day, some friends who are recent homeowners of a huge house sent an invitation as well. Here's the problem. 75% of both guest lists are the same people. A friend said they could just combine and go to the larger home. Here's where I need your help. I love all parties involved and consider them family. While combining is what would happen in a perfect world, these friends who have rented the smaller house have been excited to do this for months. And I do not want to flake. Both parties are open invite, but some of the people renting the house received a direct invite while others didn't. And the married couple who normally goes out of town was not invited to the home of the renters at all. So they did not do this to step on toes. I am not sure what to say about the combining suggestion. I cannot think of any way to make that kind, considerate, and honest. How do I spend the holiday with both, and what suggestions do I give to others who are faced with the same problem? Anonymous. Anonymous. I can understand why you might want to stay anonymous. This is a tricky question. This is a really tricky question. And... Before you go down that rabbit hole of trying to talk to two different hosts about coordinating parties, there are a couple of simpler solutions that that might present themselves. The first is you could always stovetop it. Wait, what is stovetopping it? What what are you having at your house for dinner? Stovetop? What are you having at your house for dinner? Stovetop? What time? What time? Oh, my God. 
watch the commercials where the kid gets two stovetop. I totally know what you're talking. We are not a commercial for stovetop, by the way, but that. Depending on the time of these two parties or these two dinners, you might be able to catch the bulk of the meal at one and leave because they're, you mentioned they're sort of open house, open invitation. You might be able to leave one, not even necessarily early and still catch dessert or some portion of the other. And there is certainly nothing wrong with that, particularly for these open invite kind of parties. The other real simple and clear point of etiquette that's going to give you some direction here is one about having accepted an invitation. You're going to honor that. You're going to stick with the invitation that came first that you already agreed to. It's just the nature of the situation that the invitation that comes a week before might run up, particularly this close to a holiday with a whole bunch of potential guests that already have plans, and they're going to understand that. One of the difficulties with just saying, let's have these parties together, is that 25%. Maybe 75% of the guest list is overlapping, but you've got the hosts of one party who aren't part of that 75%. And I I like how you mentioned that because it does really indicate there's no ill intent here in the way these parties are being thrown. But um, it also means that there's a 25% not overlap in what's already a situation where the number of people who are going to fit um, is is a consideration. And while I'm sure that both these groups would easily absorb that 25 percent, like, oh, yes, by all means, include them. You also don't want to be orchestrating a combined effort when you're not one of the hosts. It's great if the hosts get together. Maybe the, the two the two hosts that overlap at both part, you know, hosting both that were both invited, that kind of thing, get together and say, hey, Let's combine efforts. But it's their job to do that, not necessarily yours. So I always worry about guests trying to take on too much of the the problem solving. Let the hosts do it. It's their house. It's their party. As Dan said, you could, I love this phrase, stovetop it. I think there are ways. And I also, for the person that wants just like the clear cut advice, I love the advice of, hey, you said yes to one invite. You're just not available to say yes to the other invite. That's just it. Bottom line. And you could run either direction with this and be in good territory. There is that temptation. You want to be helpful. You want to get involved and offer the solution. And it can feel like that that would be the courteous thing to do. But I really like the way you talked about the difficulty you had figuring out a way to do that that's both kind, considerate, and honest. And um, I I certainly appreciate your approaching it with that framework because that's, as you know, exactly the way we (laughs) like to approach it here also. Whatever you end up doing, if you're able to squeeze both in or whether you just have a great time at your initial party or if they combine on their own, that you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. We know it already happened, but we still want to wish you the best. Take care. Our next question is titled, Who Greets Whom? When a family member arrives home after being gone for a good portion of the day, whose responsibility is it to greet the other family member who is at home but not in the same room? Should the arrivee go search for the other member, or should the already-at-home member come and greet the arrival? Thank you both for your input. Lee. Lee, either one is good. You could, This is an etiquette classic. You could argue this one, for, I mean, either way, from a really strong etiquette standpoint. You could say, well, the person who's home should always greet the person arriving because they're at home and you want to be received, even if it's your own home. And you could come argue, to the door, yeah, turn on a light, be helpful, carry groceries. I mean, whatever it is, just hi. And how wonderful is that when your spouse or one of your family members or your roommate does that? It feels great. 
So lovely. Flip side, it could be so nice when someone come and comes and enters the house and they live there. You aren't a guest, and they come and find you and let you know, "Hey, I'm home. It's good to see you. What have you been doing while I've been away?" You could argue the responsibility being on either member. Absolutely. Also, when you come into a space and the other person might not have heard you come through the door, you do want to seek them out to make sure they know that you are home now. So you see, I'm already just like, oh, wait, and there's that. Oh, and there's that point, and there's that but point. But what if one person's in the middle of tying a fly or their favorite recipe, and it's Exa- a really... Busy, and it's too hard, or they've got, like, I could imagine Poppy or Grandfather working in the wood shop, and you mm-hmm. can't hear somebody come home, so how could you have known to go greet them? Listening to your favorite music in headphones, any of a thousand things, it would be a good reason someone might not be waiting at the door for you with a hot cup of cocoa to welcome you home. <laughs> <laughs> I like where you're going, wow, I like that greeting. Let me walk into Dan's house. I'm going to say that personally, I think this is where uh, technology and great communication between partners or between people who live in the same house is awesome. I would probably think of this more for couples living together or families living together as opposed to roommates, but still always good to, to you know, keep in good communication with your roommates mm-hmm. too. But I like the idea of connecting with the person you live with and, you know, before you come home, you get in touch, say you're on your way back, something like that. And you can kind of take the temperature of of the person on the other line. So the person who's home, maybe they've been really stressed out. Things haven't gone well at home that day and they're having a tough time. So you, the person coming in, maybe you've had an easy day. Errands went super easy. Work went great. The visit you were just out on was lovely. You're in a good mood. You can be the one anticipating, oh, they've had a hard time at home. I'm going to, you know, do everything I can. I'm going to seek them out, give them a big hug, let them know I'm home and here to help. Other flip side, you've been home relaxing all day. Your partner's been out battling the crazy errands or a hard day at work. And, you know, you can sense that. So when they come home, you make sure you've got a big hug, a big smile to greet them at the door, be helpful with groceries. You can anticipate it, talk, communicate a little bit. I had almost the exact same idea here. Of course that, you did. Because <laughs> there isn't a firm rule of etiquette here that says who has to because it is so circumstantial. It is so it depends. So it does end up coming down to good communication, good relationships. And the thought that I would do to loop it back around is that just committing to doing this will help build that good relationship that lets you do it better and better and better throughout life. That saying hi to people, acknowledging people, greeting people when you enter those shared spaces together is so fundamentally important. And I would add just as fundamentally important as saying goodbye. The little partings are also really nice. When someone's leaving the house, just to even call upstairs, I'm off, see you later. Maybe I love you if it's appropriate and correct. Or, or But, but even just a little parting gesture can also be so important. And these can really cement and solidify relationships, whether it is families, couples, or roommates sharing spaces. And with the people that you live with, you are and work with often, you're going to f- also find your little ways. You often come into the office with a hoo-hoo, and that's how I know you're here, and that's a lovely greeting. And then you'll kind of walk by my office, and then when you and Raju come back, because you're going to go do coffee and, and, and cookies for the dogs, that's when you say, and official good morning to you. And that's that's kind of our dynamic. If I come in, I usually let Benny go get his cookie and then I come in and see you and say, hey, I'm here. Come in and chat in a minute. And But you kind of develop your own, your own things. But I will say that when 
that hasn't been able to happen when you first cross that threshold, I would go seek the person out. I will give that onus on the person coming in that if you if you haven't seen the person who's already at home, go seek them out. It's a, it's a nice surprise. You don't want the, oh my gosh, you're here. Oh, you scared the living daylights out of me. Oh no. You know, you don't want that moment. So I want to affirm that. And I was having a similar thought about if you're in the shared space. Yeah. If you're in the shared space of the living space or the apartment, so if you're in that living room or the kitchen and someone enters it and you're already there, I think there is something to welcoming that person to that shared space, to greeting them as they enter it. Exactly. And I I think that the corollary to that is what you just said, that if you're not in that shared space, if you're off in what might be considered private space, doing maybe more focused work or even just enjoying private time, (laughs) that the person might who's entered the shared space, the onus becomes a little bit more on them to just figure out Find what's going on. and, and say hello. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or to, to hold that center, that shared space, <laughs> and when the other person returns, to then welcome and greet them. The hardest is when someone comes in and and one of the person, people who's home is showering because they can't always even hear someone like, a, they can't always hear a knock on the bathroom door mm-hmm. to let you know, and then they come out and it's, ah! I didn't know you were home. I thought thought you heard me. Oh, no. no, no. I don't think there could be anything scarier. I'm thinking of the psycho that someone (laughs) showing up when you're in the shower. It's really scary. Really, really. (laughs) You're in a very vulnerable position when you are in that shower. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, So I think that we definitely you have a couple different options, a couple different points of view, but mostly check in with your partner. Connect with them. Is there something that they enjoy? Is there is is it something that's really important to them to be greeted or to be sought out, you know, I mean, check in with them. What are their feelings about it? Because clearly you could, like we said, you could etiquette argue this one on both sides easily. And investing in that moment will pay rewards. It will pay dividends. And as a parting thought, I will leave you with uh, something that I, I learned recently attending a wedding here at Vermont Public Radio. What's that? And it was some advice from the officiant. And they were advising the couple that were getting married to let go of slights easily in the course of a relationship that if you do find yourself feeling a little put out that someone didn't greet you wasn't waiting for you or didn't say goodbye or hello when they should or when you would have liked that you let go of that as easily as the thought came and do it better the next time thank you for your questions please send us updates comments and salutes to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com you can leave us a message at 802-866-0860 we do so love having your voice on our podcast or you can hit us up on twitter and facebook just use the hashtag awesome etiquette if you choose to reach out to us on social media Why? Why does it matter? For several reasons. Look, maybe I can show you. And now for your feedback, because thankfully we're not the only ones who have thoughts on what good etiquette is. So do you. And you let us know. Producer Chris Roberts has been keeping tabs and is here to share. Hey there, Lizzie and Dan. First of all, check is in the mail for your answer to the question, who greets whom? Ah. (laughs) That is such a great tip for somebody like me. Hate to be crass, trying to score points with my wife. I never thought about that very hard. Oh, nice. And I think that's going to help me immensely. All right. <laughs> You've got the... two smiling faces here. And... <laughs> we helped our food. <laughs> you always right. help me. You always help me. <laughs> what have you got for us today? 
here's what I've got. We're going to start with a comment that goes back to episode 107, the infamous cat car quandary, (laughs) having to do with a listener who loaned her apartment parking spot to a woman who then criticized our listener for letting her cat walk all over a car that the woman was trying to sell. Charlie wrote on Awesome Etiquette Facebook, and I should give a warning here, brace yourselves, cat lovers. Charlie says, I am of the firm personal opinion that outside cats are a major etiquette problem. I have had outdoor cats damage the paint on several of my cars and even damage radio antennas and rubber trim. Also, I frequently find cat waste in my flower pots and my child's sandbox, and cats have antagonized my dog in our backyard. Cats are also predators and are responsible for killing over 500 million wild birds per year, contributing to a worrisome trend of population decline in 35% of wild bird species. Okay, I'm a reporter. I'm going to stop here. I checked this number to see if it was possibly inflated. And it's not. Oh. That number actually isn't big enough. Oh, my gosh. The Washington Post reports that according to a study by the Smithsonian Biology Conservation Institute, outdoor cats kill 1.4 to 3.7 billion, that's billion with a B, birds a year in the U.S. What? Oh, my goodness. You have two stunned etiquette experts sitting at this table. We are both just like. I'm in shock. I had no I had no clue that, that was even a problem. Number. Gosh, my cats are lazy. I'm just thinking they've never brought home a bird or a mouse or anything. Well, it sounds like your cat is one of the few lazy ones. Back to Charlie's note. I understand, says Charlie, that it is difficult to train a cat accustomed to spending time outside to stay in. But I believe it is an unintentionally inconsiderate and damaging practice. Cat owners, consider keeping your cats inside only. They may be your fur babies, but they can be more of a pest than you suspect. Charlie, what do you guys think? Well, I think fascinating, first of all, because I was definitely not aware of the numbers or the impact in that way. Just not having heard things like, oh, my gosh, your cat is scratching my car, pulling the rubber or the antennas. I've heard of cats drinking antifreeze and then dying, but not... Or crawling up to sit on warm car engines, things like that. Yeah, but not the other. I would just advise that rather than only indoor cats as an option, either supervise time outside or maybe kind of have an awareness of of where your cat can get to outside, that it might be more of a fenced-in issue than, than a just no cats outside issue. And one of the reasons I like the feedback is it makes me think in different ways. And yeah. this is one of those times where I, I I find myself all of a sudden thinking, is there some equivalent to, we say, keep your dog on a leash right. or have control of your pet? And right. that's an, an expectation that we have of dog owners, but we don't, at least I don't necessarily have that same expectation of cat owners. And our listener has given me some food for thought and it's a new thought. I want to let it let it develop a little bit, but I think there's, there's some, some rich territory here. No question. I think I agree with you on that. Also on Awesome Etiquette Facebook, we heard from Sybil in response to a question about brand bashing at the local electronic or digital gadget store. This is when the salesperson makes a snide remark about your favorite device. Sybil writes on Facebook, Whenever someone says something insulting to me under the guise of being cute or funny, I just act baffled. I adopt a look of puzzlement and say, 
I don't understand. What do you mean by that? If they try to explain, I just keep acting like I just don't get it. I don't understand. Why would you say that to me? I don't understand. Do you mean I have bad taste in computers? <laughs> repeat, 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 says Sybil. I love that. Oh, that is a, a cheeky way to deal with it for sure. It is cheeky. Yeah. Cheeky and effective. Yes. <laughs> cheeky, cheeky works sometimes. Uh, yes, it does. I'm a fan. And a listener, Jay, wrote in response to Respect the Ex in episode 114. It was a question from a divorced father whose son was going to be with him during Thanksgiving, and this man, M, was worried his family was going to speak very ill of his ex-wife in front of his and her son. Jay says... Thank you for your wonderful podcast. I'd like to commend M for his decision to shield his son from negative talk about his ex-wife. I can say from personal experience that he is making a wise and loving choice. My parents' marriage is the second one for my father, who was married before and had two sons from that marriage. My dad and his ex-wife went through a difficult divorce, but he made it a rule to never put his ex-wife down in front of my brothers, a rule that my mother also adopted after they were later married. In fact, to this day, I've never heard my dad say a bad word about his ex-wife to anyone, even when my brothers weren't or aren't around. He had a great response that quickly shut down any negative talk about her that I'd like to offer to M. He would say, I might share your sentiment, but as the mother of two of my children, she is entitled to our respect and consideration. Unfortunately, his ex-wife didn't adhere to the same rule, says Jay, and as adults, my brothers have often remarked on how grateful they are to my parents for putting aside their own feelings to protect them. Keep taking the high road, M. You sound like a great dad. Thanks, Jay. Oh, I love that. Jay, we agree. We yeah. think that, that M was really exemplary as well. And I'll also note that, that your father really based his advice on respect and consideration. And it clearly served him and you very well. And we thank you for sharing that. That's what good manners do. They make everyone feel at ease. it's time for our postscript. And since we're in that special time of year where people are often thinking about gifting and even re-gifting, we thought that we would return to a couple pieces of classic etiquette advice. We really want to look at the best practices for gifting. And oftentimes when that question comes up, we get asked about re-gifting. And I won't say that that's a, a question we've been dealing with at the Institute for Generations, because I don't think Emily Post got a lot of re-gifting questions, but my... Though. Don't you bet it happened? I bet it did. <laughs> but definitely, thank you, Seinfeld. Um, there, a few years ago in the 90s, the question of whether or not it was appropriate to re-gift something that you've already been given entered the popular consciousness and, and really got a hold and took root. So we also like to address that and just cover that one early in the season. But before we get into the don'ts, let's talk about a few of the do's. <laughs> the do's, I know, right? Um, I love this because gifting, I am one of those people, I want to get amazing gifts for people. And I have to remind myself of the list we're about to go through. Every time it comes to picking, a, I had to do it for your wedding gift, Lizzie. Tone it down. It's okay that it's not spectacular. And Lizzie Post gives great <laughs> gifts. So even toned down unspectacular, they do 
they, they, they make an impact. I'll put it that oh, way. I'm very glad. I hope I have you this year on the Christmas list. All right. The first and foremost, no matter what kind of person you are gifting to, no matter what the season, no matter what your anything, keep within your budget. You should never feel pressure to buy something out of your budget or to feel pressure to buy something that you can't at, afford. Exactly. Like it just shouldn't be. Or even if you can afford it, guess what? You might have set a gifting budget for yourself for the year and it's okay to stick to that. In fact, it feels really bad if you don't yes. because budgets are important. They matter. These are the real parameters that we have to operate in. So give yourself a reasonable parameter to operate within because that's ultimately going to leave you in the best shape. And and the person that you're giving to wants you to be well taken care of also. And it is nobody else's business how much you spent on a gift. Absolutely no one else's business. So if you give someone a gift or you receive a gift from someone, do they have to give you a gift back? Do you have to give them a gift back? <laughs> it never ends. It ends. You do not have to be reciprocal in your gift giving. It can feel awkward, but here's how you solve that problem. Okay, so you go to a holiday party and your friend is like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I wanted to take a minute and give you your gift this year. And you go, oh my gosh, thank you. That's so nice. I And you, you just think in your head immediately, your instinct is, I could tell her that I left it in the car. I left it home. It hasn't arrived yet. Oh, I'm not doing my friend gifts for another two weeks, so expect something soon. Just get out of panic mode. That's panic mode. And instead go to focusing on the fact that your friend has a gift for you. And this is a generous gesture. And you want to really receive that gift with the spirit of generosity in which it's given and focus on that generosity. Don't focus on what is perceived as lacking on your end because it's a self-perception. It's not that's not what the other person is thinking in that moment. I can guarantee you they are thinking, oh, my gosh, he or she is going to be so excited about what they open. I want it to be just the right thing. Honor that. Focus on that. There's very little I can add to that. I think that is such good advice. And it really is where you want to keep the focus in that moment because that's a good feeling moment. It's not a bad feeling moment. And you want to stay in that good feeling. You do want to receive that gift well. And guess what? You don't have one to give back. So there is no good, happy place that you're going to get to. There will be (laughs) plenty of time to actually go get a gift if you're going to do a reciprocal gift or just to thank that person really well for the nice gesture if you're not. So when you are thinking about what to do, I really like to think about the relationship. You want to think about how you're connected to this person. Is there some way that you can honor that connection? Because ultimately, all good etiquette's about building relationships, honoring relationships. And that's really where I like the thought to be when that gift-giving process starts. And it really is the thought that matters. It's a cliche. We say it all the time. It's really important. Um, Another way that you can bring attention to your thoughtfulness is to really think about the other person. Think about what they would like. You might honor some aspect of your relationship to them. You might just honor something that they love. You're not connected to it. At all, (laughs) in any way. Um, And it could be anything from... Well, this is like where where my dad taught me the best thing ever, where he said, keep it simple. Like, golfers love golf balls, you know? People who like to fish love fishing-related things. Like, people who love food, love foodie items. Like, keep within what they love. It might not be what you love, but it is what they love. And I know that you and I have a slightly different perspective on this one, but every once in a while, I like to give something that I know... I really love that I think someone else <laughs> might like. It's a, sort of you could think about the relationship, that space in between. You could think about them, something they love, something that you love that you want to expose them to or introduce them to. A little riskier because you're is. not I as sure. A, no, I have a friend who does this in the other direction, and it's just really funny because she'll she she buys such wonderful gifts, but she does always say.
say, I know that you don't wear this color that often, but I love it. So I got it for you. And like, there's usually a reason I don't wear that color that often. So it's kind of funny. But she's it's coming from a place of like, she loves it. So she wants me to love it. And I appreciate that. But I get, yeah, it's always a little risky. But the fi- the final like like relax yourself thought like don't overstress it. These last couple th- are really about the idea that you know I- I'm the type of person who's standing in the store literally having a panic attack. That the person oh my gosh are they gonna want the blue one or the red one the blue one or the red one like what's gonna be the best for Kimberly? And I turn around and my d- I hear my dad's voice in my head and it says they're not gonna know what the other option was. They're not gonna know what you don't pick. They're only going to know the gift that's presented to them. So by all means, just pick one and give it to them if it's coming down to red or blue or green or white or whatever it is. Include that gift receipt if you can. Yes. Let them know where you got it. So if they want the other color or something in a slightly different style, they can go get it. Exactly. And then final thought is really personalize that gift. Write a little note. Take a second. Make a card. Jot something on it. Pay a little bit of attention to how you present it. Maybe you are a fancy wrapper and you like to line up the seam on your wrapping paper. Maybe you like to scrunch up newspaper and tie a ribbon around it. But think about presentation. Think about making the gift giving or the sharing of that gift part of the experience. Those little efforts to personalize and make special the the act of giving the gift and to acknowledge the person with that handwritten note are really going to make an impact, sometimes as much of an impact as the gift itself. So now for the trickier territory. Some people like to re-gift and they think, first of all, re-gifting pros. It's green. There's already stuff out there. You don't, you know, so it's it's a green regift. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, mass production of things. You're reusing, recycling in a lot of ways. Cost cost effective, definitely. If you genuinely think the person's going to like it, it actually might be a really thoughtful thing. So these were the reasons that that kind of led us down the path of, you know, maybe we should just put some parameters on regifting, as opposed we, to saying no regifting at all, which you would maybe say because. It really can be hurtful mm-hmm. when you the number of times actually you have written into us and told us that that I found the card in the bag that said, dear Sharon, hope you love this vase. And I'm I'm recognizing that it's a regifted gift. And I feel like Sharon really didn't didn't take the time. That thought and effort part of what makes a gift so very special disappears sometimes when you realize that someone re-gifted something and they didn't even bother to remove the tag that indicated it was going to be re-gifted. You Receiving know? the re-gift Gifted, can be yeah. bad, almost as bad, maybe worse. I gave someone something and, and then I found out later they just gave it away. Like, ouch, man. That is not fun. How did you like the XYZ I gave you? Actually, uh, uh, it's in my neighbor's house. Right, exactly. Or you're over at the neighbor's and you see it. Oh, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. So it can be really hurtful. That being said, we have four regifting rules and one true way to regift right. The very first rule in our regifting list is that um, it really can't be an item that's original, unique, handmade, or monogrammed. Um, if there's something that has made it personalized, you know, it's got your wedding date on it, and Dan tries to give it to me. No, that's not going to work. But um, we have heard about this. We have heard about that. Like legitly, we answered that question about. I think it was a cheese board or something that had the other couple's wedding date on it. Anyway, so egregious. The, the crocheted afghan, the right, the thing that the would handmade be handmade goods, identical. 
identifiable um, as a handmade good or something really unique. I remember a friend of mine got an, an octopus planter. I mean, there was, yeah, so you'd put a plant in it and it's shaped like an octopus so that the tentacles come down. Everything. I know, Dan's just going, really, that was a gift? Really, that was a gift? <laughs> Sounds like a regifting uh, <laughs> possibility. <laughs> White elephant gift, great. You know what I mean? Yankee swap gift, great. But, um, but I think that that's one where it'd be really noticeable if that gift showed up at someone else's house. It's not like kind of the ubiquitous bottle of wine that like, you know, everybody winds up with. So that one's not unique, handmade or monogrammed. What's our second rule? It's got to be in the original packaging. Right. It's got to be essentially a regifted new gift. This isn't about cleaning out your closet or your attic. This isn't the white elephant exchange item. Right. Regifting done well really is about in an age of disposable consumer goods. I have two of these in my closet. That is ridiculous. That is silly. One is brand new. I can pass it along and that makes more sense. Right. You, you want it to look presentable as a gift. If it looks like it's a box that's been opened a million times, it's just going to be in that category of not very thoughtful. Our third point is my favorite point. You have to be 99% sure that the other person's going to like this gift. This isn't just get rid of your garbage. This is like, no, I really think Dan is going to love this thing, so I'm going to re-gift it to him. To me, this is, I, I, yeah, exactly. If I could put an asterisk or a star next to one of the tips, this would be the one. Because it isn't just, oh, I've got a second blender in my closet. It's, I know these people are just setting up a kitchen and... He's a jogger. He makes smoothies every morning, and I think he would like it. And I never use mine, and so this is the perfect thing for him to have, and da 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 easy, easy peasy. The final point, if we're not being honest about our regift, if we're not going to announce that it's a regift, what's our final point? And this is one where I just feel like we you're cringe. towing the line yeah. of honesty and sincerity here, and we say that you're 99% sure that, that no one's going to find out, but I like a better construction for yeah. me is that you're not going to give offense doing it. Right. That's that, a good way to that call it. That it's not likely to jump out at someone, that you're not putting that octopus planter in your neighbor's house when you know that your neighbor hosts the person that gave you that octopus planter all the time, that you're not going to um, tempt fate with with the way that you're regifting. And that is I going, really like that, that idea of trying to avoid that offense if you can. That is going to be an adjustment now to our our language around this. For a long time, we always said it the other way of that the person each party won't find out i think won't cause offense gets more to the heart of the issue and i think that's it's really key cuz some people really would be offended even if it was with the best of intentions and i think that is actually much more in terms of putting people first rather than crafting a rule that works so change here in the moment that's going in the book for next round Finally, the way to regift right, if you are going to regift, is to simply be honest about it. We come right back to our principles of consideration, respect, and honesty. Hey, I received two copies of Emily Post's 18th edition this year, and I have this extra one. I know you would love it. Here you go. Um, I just wanted you to have it, but I wanted you to know that it wasn't. It was a regifted item. I told my cousin once at, at her birthday, I had a bracelet that I knew she would love. It was from an ex-boyfriend of mine. I knew I wasn't really going to wear it. I had outgrown the style. And so I said, listen, I know that this is a regifted gift, but I wanted to give this to you because I really did think you would like it. If it's not if it's not something you like, by all means, give it back or pass it on. Whatever you feel more comfortable doing, we'll do something else. But I wanted you to have this because I actually really thought you would like it. 
Well, there you have it. That is gifting and re-gifting just in time for our wonderful, awesome holiday gifting season. We hope that you and yours have a lot of fun exchanging heartfelt gifts this year. You see what I mean about putting your best foot forward? Happily end the show today with an etiquette salute from a woman who attended her friend's wedding with a brand new baby and really appreciated the courtesy and consideration she received. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. This is Kelly calling from Minnesota with an etiquette salute for my dear friend, Teresa. Earlier this summer, I received a wedding invitation to Teresa's wedding in August, and I was quite pregnant at the time and knew that I would be able to make it to the wedding, but my husband wouldn't be able to attend because he was going to be going to another wedding that weekend. So I wrote a little greeting on the RSVP card, like I always do, indicated that I would be attending with the baby, but that my husband wouldn't be. The Monday before the wedding, Teresa sent me a text message saying, I was welcome to use her bridal suite during the reception for breastfeeding the baby. And it wasn't expected that I use it if I was comfortable feeding out in the reception area, but that she wanted me to know I had a quiet place, a quiet private place to feed the baby when I needed to. When I got to the reception after the ceremony, the day of the wedding, her aunt came right up to me and introduced herself and told me where the bridal seat was and said that whenever I needed to feed the baby, she sh- I should just come find her and she would unlock it for me. And it ended up being just a great chance to have the baby unwind and feed. While I was feeding, I came to find out that Teresa had reached out to all the moms of new babies that were going to be attending the wedding to give them this opportunity to use the bridal suite. And it was really nice to have kind of a little mom group back in the bridal suite while the rest of the party was going on. We all really enjoyed each other's company. We all just agreed it was such a good hostess move on Teresa's part to allow us to use her bridal suite, this room that's been reserved for her as the bride and woman of honor that day. And I'm so grateful to have a good friend like Teresa who time and time again has taught me awesome ways to be a good hostess. And I only wish that I had thought of this accommodation at my wedding a year ago. Dan, good luck with your future fatherhood. And I hope that you and Pooja run into many people along the way that help make parenting a little bit easier. Thanks to you both. Bye. Kelly, thank you for that salute. And a big thanks to Teresa for providing such an incredible example. We hear about all kinds of different ways that people handle children at weddings. And this was a, a particularly special way to do it, to offer up your own bridal suite. As I was as I was listening to your salute, I was thinking to myself, it made me reflect about the, the coming event of parenthood and how much um, I'm looking forward to joining that club of parents sitting in that, that room with the kids. And thank you also for, for mentioning me and for mentioning Pooja at the end of your salute. I will pass on your well wishes to her as well. Thank you so much. All right, sisters, do your thing, honey. Thank you for listening, and thank you to 
everyone who sent us something. You can send your next question, comment, or salute to Awesome Etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Chris Roberts. Thank you.